African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we are on the shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, That is our shortwave service into Sub-Saharan Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV in South Africa and some neighboring countries, we have that facility. We're on DSTV Channel 802, or you can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today, we're looking at the issue of language. And we're looking at the influence of Mandarin on the African continent. Uh, Critics have warned that the Chinese uh, involvement on the continent should be carefully scrutinized. According to some financial experts, Chinese investment in Africa could be accelerating debt on the continent and creating economies which are entirely dependent on China. However, there are some of those who say that China is taking steps to becoming the biggest investor in Africa and in so doing is also making sure that its language is spreading fast. Mandarin has been introduced in some African countries as well as included in the curriculum of some schools. Could this be a wiring issue in terms of the imbalance and where we are seeing the growth of uh, African languages in themselves growing within the continent? Or is this a different form of colonization, as some people are stating, of China in terms of in making sure that it increases its language on the African continent? Well, to help us on this particular subject, we brought back Andres Opperman. We had him on the show last week when we were speaking about uh, the FOCAC meeting that was taking place in China. And we know also that he's specializing in uh, um, teaching Mandarin and uh, he's a lecturer in economics and Mandarin at Aros. We also have for this uh, conversation Dr. Mantua uh, Motignani, who is a linguistic and child specialist at the University of Cape Town. Thank you both for giving us your time on the line. Andres, I've already asked these particular questions in terms of uh, uh, really trying to figure out why we have uh, this uh, um, conservative uh, viewpoint when it comes to the increase of Mandarin in Africa because we are starting to see uh, trade relations between China and the continent. What's your take, especially as someone who is teaching Mandarin on the African continent? Uh, Good day, Benjamin, and and thank you for having me back and hello to your listeners. Yes, um, uh, I think that uh, um, there's um, a lot of concern when we are dealing with China, especially as we um, have a, a viewpoint which has been informed in many ways um, uh, by colonization. Um, so there's uh, definitely indeed a, a need to, um, to uh, monitor them carefully, as you have said. But um, uh, on the other hand, um, the... Um, uh, you have mentioned um, debt as a, as, a, as a way of colonization, and I just want to put it out there that one simply fall into someone's debt and um, then own something 
but I think uh, no one will accidentally re- learn Mandarin Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, so, 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 so you will know if you are forced to, to learn Mandarin, mm. you will definitely uh, uh, be aware of it. Sure. Uh, but um, uh, a few months ago, uh, I was uh, uh, privileged to be uh, judging at the Chinese Bridge Competition. It's a, it's a language and cultural competition which is hosted by China all over the world. And uh, at this competition, um, the head of the Department of Education from the Embassy of China, uh, Mr. Wang, he said something in the line of that in language there are two indispensable, indispensable M's. And, and these two M's are firstly mother and then market. And then he said, I continue to say that manner will be the bridge which leads you to the Chinese market. Mm. So, so, so from their perspective, um, from what I could get, um, they have uh, uh, emphasized that mother language comes first before the market language. Mm. Okay, that's a very interesting take from you, Andres. Uh, Dr. Mutinyane, thank you for also joining us there on the line. What's your take of seeing uh, uh, Mandarin slowly but surely being entrenched as a language of communication in African countries? Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm naturally glad that we are having this conversation because back in 2015, when the Department of Basic Education in the Western Cape announced that um, by 2016, Mandarin would be one of the um, subjects in the curriculum, although uh, optional, at that time, China promised to donate about 2,000 textbooks to um, the schools that will be participating. They also volunteered to send 100 uh, volunteers every year uh, to help with the training and um, provided scholarships. Well, if you are going to go that far, there has to be a, a, a catch for you as, as the government. Mm. And honestly, anyone who is um, watching the story unfold can see how the spread of Mandarin in, in Africa has um, kind of imitated the early spread of the colonial languages in Africa. Mm. If if China wished to strengthen the trade um, relations with uh, South Africa, why not uh, teach its representatives African languages, which are the indigenous African languages of South Africa? Let's say, for example, Isuzulu. Why not do that? Mm. Because if, if, you are, if you have interest in our market, in our people, then you need to meet us halfway, not the other way around. The current education system, as it is, is already taught through the lens of English. The textbooks that are used at primary schools are translated from one English textbook into the various African languages. So the culture there is already eroded. Now we are going to burden the kids who are already um, culturally impoverished with another very, very difficult language with, for one, to get the competence that they expect out of um, the, 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 um, the rollout of, of the languages. Mm. You need to learn about over 2,000 uh, characters to be able to do that. And right now, our kids cannot even memorize 16 noun classes. So this is really a killer. It's, um, it's, it's becoming more like um, the speakers of our languages, of the indigenous languages, have now have to share 
half of their culture, understand half of their culture through the lens of English, and now imposing uh, Mandarin, which is now we have a cultureless and languageless society. So I mm. see really nothing positive coming out of this. All right, so we'll unpack that after our break. Definitely different views coming from both uh, um, Dr. Mantua Motignani, who's joining us uh, from Cape Town. She is a linguistic and child specialist at the University of Cape Town, and Andres Uppermann is a lecturer in economics and Mandarin at Aros. I'm going to take a quick break. It's 11.15 Central African time. I think we had a nice intro there, just getting the different uh, standpoints and arguments from both of our guests. Let's take a quick break and we'll explore further uh, some of the views that are coming from our guests. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us on our various platforms. We're having an interesting discussion post our forecast uh, 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 conversation that we had uh, last week. And we couldn't really look at the subject matter. So we thought, hey, let's look at it separately after the uh, trade conversations that were happening in Beijing between Africa and uh, uh, China. And what's very, very interesting is seeing various countries actually introducing Mandarin in their conventional education. We know that uh, even when you look at countries such as uh, uh, Malawi, this is something that is starting to take place. We know in South Africa that was uh, a conversation that took place a few years ago, but I think that was held on pause a bit. I think I'll ask Andrisa to uh, elaborate on what has been happening in education and Mandarin, Uh, but uh, we know that uh, uh, there was a big controversial conversation which took place when this was trying to be uh, introduced in South Africa. But if you're just joining us, we've got Andres Uppermann, lecturer in economics at Mandarin, in Mandarin at Aros, and uh, we've got Dr. Mantua Montignane, who is a linguistic and child specialist at the University of Cape Town. Andres, very different viewpoints between you and uh, Dr. Montignane. Uh, what's interesting about Dr. Montignane's viewpoints is what she highlighted in terms of why are we not seeing a trade exchange that is on equal terms. In fact, uh, Dr. Montignan highlighting, if this is a trade exchange, why isn't Chinese learning African languages and why are we seeing uh, Chinese imposing Mandarin on the African continent? What's your thought on that particular viewpoint that was highlighted there by the doctor? Yes, uh, thank you, Benjamin. Yes, um, um, to a certain extent, I do agree with the doctor. Uh, on the part of the importance of the mother tongue. And, um, and I want to get back uh, to that, if uh, I may, later. But um, in terms of the trade, I, I doubt that you will find 
any other country in the world which has gone, gone through the trouble of learning foreign languages, and especially English, as China. So there's, there's no country in the world which took on as many foreign languages as, uh, as China. Uh, for example, I have a colleague in Beijing uh, teaching Isikosa. I myself, my first job um, uh, uh, when I started off was to teach English in China, although I can't speak English at all. But, but the, 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 the need for English teachers mm. in China is immense. So they are trying um, to do that, and they have been, done, uh, been doing it. But I think what they're doing is they, they're on a dual-track um, uh, approach. Um, where, um, I've, recently, I've recently seen a quote by um, the former chancellor of um, uh, the Republic of Germany, and, and he said, um, if I'm I speak your language, but if I'm buying, then you should speak Deutsch. So if I'm buying, then you have to speak um, uh, 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 German. So, uh. so uh, what they what they what they doing is they implementing a dual track place. You can go on Alibaba now to um, uh, buy something in China, and and you will most definitely immediately at any of the retailers get somebody who can assist you at some form of um, English in some form of English. But um, they say if if, if we want to um, uh, be most successful as we can in this trade, then we have to do a, 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 a dual approach. And, and uh, there are um, three primary social constraints to trade, um, and that's difference in norms in ethics, difference in culture, mm. and the difference in language. And all the ancient big civilizations, including China, Egypt, Greece, Rome, they were all successful in their trade because they were able to trade across, across different cultures. And, and um, you have your clients on a cultural level, on a language level, um, to entice them to buy from you. Mm. And, and we've seen the Chinese put in immense effort to learn English, and they're saying, well, to even make this process even more beneficial, um, uh, let's um, uh, uh, help you to learn Mandarin. And, um, uh, and that is a big part of the Belt and Road in- Initiative, the, mm. the, the, um, the new mm. Silk Road, which we talked sure. about last sure. week, mm. to, to, um, to get each other, to understand each other's culture. Mm. Um, but that does not take away that um, mother comes first. Let me bring it to you, Dr. Mantua. Um, what are your thoughts on those sentiments that are made by Andres? Uh, for me, I see it as maybe a, a cultural, um, maybe identity that China has taken hold of, the fact that they could be seeing themselves as culturally open, as was uh, uh, alluded to by Andres, uh, Dr. Mutinyane, and maybe this is uh, a way of them asking us to open ourselves to their culture. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, those are really the, the, um, interesting observations. And um, I, I've had a discussion on another similar um, aspect where um, reference is made to English and German and you know, French and all these other languages. Something that we forget is that the speakers of those languages were not subjected to linguistic imperialism that we were subjected to as South Africans. Sure. So to equate, yes, to equate us to German or Chinese, for that matter, is really uh, missing the point here. South Africa has a unique background, 
And because language has been used in the past to oppress um, South African uh, speakers, language speakers, and to degrade the uh, indigenous languages of, of South Africa, we have to be very, very careful when it comes to introducing external languages instead of promoting the ones that we already have. If the Chinese have already made so much effort and learned English, why do they still need uh, Mandarin? How much of the Mandarin is going to operate in South Africa? They already have centers around um, Cape Town and a lot of many other places. They do not employ the local people. So who, who are these um, children who are going to learn Mandarin? Are they going to China? How is that going to benefit them? If you want to trade with the person in their own country, you learn the languages of that country, not the other way around. Mm, that's an interesting observation there. And I think, you know, what I agree with you, Dr. Montignani, is that first point that you made in terms of the fact that uh, a country such as China doesn't have the colonial history that a, a continent such as uh, Africa uh, could have. Therefore, um, the, the, their um, exchanges should actually take that into uh, consideration. But I wanted to pick your brain further, Dr. Montignani in terms of you were speaking about the fact that we already have um, uh, bottlenecks in our language education system in uh, in the continent itself and you were using South Africa as an example and uh, if we do actually continue to add external um, languages into the context of our education system or whether our vocabulary uh, does this not add a value to our society or could it be a deficit of sorts um, well under normal circumstances it would add value to our society However, at the moment, our children learn English from grade 1 to grade 12. But we know when they enter university, most of them cannot even speak English. They are not functionally literate in English. So already we we, we are crippled in that manner. So how is adding uh, Mandarin, which will receive um, not the same amount of time as English, how would that improve uh, the situation? You see where this comes from. Mm-hmm. We are already crippled. We are crippling ourselves even further, linguistically. And if you cannot, if you don't have um, a functional literacy in at least one language, mm-hmm. then you are not going to benefit from what the economy has to offer, unfortunately. Interesting insights that are coming from the doctor there, Andres. What's your response to that? Yes, um, I, I certainly do agree with her, definitely. Um, and, and that's why I also opened with my statement and referred to it multiple times that mother is first. Mm. Um, identity first, market is second. But, uh, but what I would like to see is that this is a choice, that, that no one decides for anyone um, uh, which choice they make. Uh, uh, deciding for anyone, anyone else, that's mm. colonialism. I want, I want to see a renaissance in the private and public schools just as much as the doctor wants. Um, I want to see the highest quality Itizulu, Itikosa, Setutu, all these mother tongue educations. I want to see that in our schools. But this is not done by removing um, or deciding from the top. This is done by giving people choice and giving people a good choice to get 
send their children to good schools, um, which uh, 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 teach them in the mother tongue. Um, I've recently looked at the, um, the example of the um, Royal Bafu King uh, Lebunane School. Um, uh, I think it's, they invested something like 450 million um, rands in a private school. Mm. Who, who invested that amount of money? Sorry? I just wanted you to elaborate that who in invested money into that the, school? The Royal Bafu King. Yes, um, yes. Nation. Sure. Yes. They, they, they have um, mineral resources and they have some um, funds available. Sure. And, and they invested, they bought this school for themselves and, and they're doing wonders to, to promote the local culture and language, but they chose to, unfortunately, they chose to have the um, a language of instruction in uh, English. Um, so, 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 so we have this wonderful school, um, and they chose uh, market before mother, um, and it should be turned around. Mm. Um, uh, uh, we've been pragmatic about English too long. Um, the, 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 um, the uh, we've seen the British um, in, in Lovedale College forcing the Itikosa to to learn in in in, um, in English. Uh, we've seen them doing it to the Boer republics. Wherever we've seen the forceful removal of language, we've seen colonization. But um, giving people the choice to choose for their mother language first, and then a second choice to choose which market language they want to learn, um, that is the opposite. That's decolonizing the decolonization. Um, uh, but it's not at the cost of another language. We mm. should have, definitely we should have a, 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 another example. Um, only a handful of governments in Africa are governing in, uh, in their mother tongue. Um, um, the majority is governing in English or um, France or some other colonial language. Um, we should stop being pragmatic about this what, what, and, 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 and start to say, well, let's focus on our mother tongue and, and let's get our um, kids to be educated in those languages but still give them an option, not remove any options. Um, and I think that uh, that could have a, a big uh, benefit for the children in, in terms of education as well as in terms of business and, and future employment. Um, uh, don't remove mm-hmm. anything forcefully. Sure. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and I want to explore uh, those uh, themes that you're bringing forward, uh, Andres, uh, with uh, Dr. Mudinyana, because I think the conversation is becoming a little bit more nuanced as we continue to speak on this particular matter. I'm also interested in that uh, viewpoint that you highlighted, the fact that uh, uh, we are seeing in schools the emphasis of the language of trade being emphasized. I know in South Africa, English is, has become uh, such a dominating a language as a whole uh, instead of uplifting indigenous languages we know on the african continent we have a splits in uh, in different parts of sub-Saharan Africa into Anglophone and uh, Francophone, which will uh, dominate the, the languages there. Now we're going to see the introduction of Mandarin. How will it uh, widen uh, the divisions that we currently see in, in the landscape of language on the African continent? We'll explore those themes after this break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. 
Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubung, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, for this uh, hour where we try to contextualize the many, many African narratives that are taking place. And today we're looking at Mandarin entrenching the continent in Africa and very interesting points that are coming from our guests uh, who have been really, really been contributing beautifully in their own different uh, uh, viewpoints uh, in this conversation. Uh, we've got Dr. Mandwa Motinyane joining us from the University of Cape Town, an expert in linguistic and also a child specialist. Andris Oberman is a lecturer in economics and Mandarin at the Institute Aros. Um, Dr. Mutinyane, before we went to that break, very interesting viewpoints, and I want us to explore those themes that are coming from Andris that are also kind of uh, integrated with yours. Um, what's interesting about what Andris was highlighting is the viewpoint that uh, Choice should be actually made the uh, priority when we start learning external languages as part of trade agreements. And uh, what was also interesting was him uh, juxtaposing that viewpoint with uh, the current status quo where we are still seeing in African countries um, um, languages such as French, Portuguese, English dominating as uh, a main uh, inst- main I- language of instruction, whether it's in corporate or whether it's in the private um, uh, education system and also in the public education system. We're starting to see that growing more and more. Um, so how do we juxtapose uh, that in terms of making sure that even our indigenous languages are uplifted in that complex language? Language landscape. Um, thank you, thank you very much. Um, again, um, I hear we keep talking about choice. We we are giving people choices, but um, the choices come with the dangling of a carrot. If mm. you are going to offer people chips and give them free books and give them teachers, you now the list goes on and on and on. Who wouldn't choose to study Mandarin? Mm. knowing very well that our children come from very disadvantaged backgrounds, so they will definitely go for that. So that's not a choice. That's a false uh, choice. Uh, Also, in terms of parents choosing to send their kids to good schools, that's not a choice. It's tied to the economy. If you cannot afford to send your child to a good school because you are unemployed or you live on a grant, 
your child will end up in those schools that are regarded not as good schools for various reasons. And then uh, in terms of the English being a dominant medium of instruction, that's, in, that's theoretically. In terms of practice, it's not happening. I'm actually on my way now. I'm coming back. I'm in Colesburg, not in Cape Town yet. Okay. I'm coming from uh, doing research in, in the free state. Um, uh, we've been to Welcome, we've been to Bloemfontein, um, visiting schools there, mm. looking at the language issue. So the, the, the language policies of the schools claim that English is a medium of instruction. But when you enter the classroom, mathematics, uh, uh, science, um, uh, what's this, the, the, the other uh, school subjects, are actually taught in, in, in the local languages. Not in English. The textbooks are in English, but they are mm. not in the in the um, indigenous various, language. Um, mm. uh, indigenous languages. Hence, why even though we keep saying English is a medium of instruction, twelve years later, our children still cannot speak English, and then now worse, they cannot even speak their own languages. So where are we going? Where are we going with this? So I'm not saying uh, people should not be given choices. But the choices should be put on the same level. If the government can do the same thing and match what China is doing with Mandarin, with uh, scholarships and support in terms of textbooks and teacher training and so on, especially for, for uh, indigenous um, languages, where, uh, in fact, some of the teachers are not even trained to teach indigenous languages. If they speak, they are just uh, put in, in a post um, teach. So if our government can give us the same incentives that come with introducing Mandarin, then that's how we call that a choice. But as it happens right now, it's not a choice, it's linguistic imperialism, is a new form of colonialism. Mm. Andres, I heard your interjections of agreement, I suppose, there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of uh, that sentiment as we're about to wrap up the conversation? Yes, definitely. I, I um, 100% agree with the doctor on everything until the last sentence. <laughs> no, okay. uh, I, I'm really, really glad to hear that that is happening. Um, uh, definitely, bursary should be given. Students should, be, uh, uh, should have the opportunity that they can do their um, doctorate degree in um, Isizulu and they get a 60,000 or 100,000 rand scholarship for that. Definitely. Um, but... Um, uh, uh, it's also not only the government's uh, uh, responsibility to, to, to give it to us. We should be uh, building this up on this on, on our own. As, um, and that's why I highlighted the example of the Royal Buffalo King School. Um, they, they, this is the uh, local community's own money, and they had the choice to to, to invest it in the um, to, to, to invest it in a school which is a mother tongue school, and they she chose English. I just want to, 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 to bring you to, an, um, last night when I was in class, I asked my um, third-year student, um, uh, so why are they learning Mandarin? Um, uh, they're paying for it out of their own pocket, um, uh, although I have close relationships with all the Confucius Institutes and I work uh, alongside the Chinese government. Um, uh, these classes that I offer, the students pay for them out of their own pocket to me. And I asked them, so why, why are you learning Mandarin? And... Um, the one, uh, one of my students, he, he responded, he said with this quote, he said, in business, courtesy and efficiency have a symbiotic relationship. 
and where things are as cautious and efficient as learning Mandarin. We have to bring it back to trade to the market language. And in terms of sub-Saharan Africa, um, China is by far our, our uh, biggest buyer of our exports. I think our, our second and third biggest buyers um, uh, are India and the United States. They buy from sub-Saharan Africa, I think, 19 billion US dollars worth of goods. Our biggest buyer is China with 23 billion dollars uh, uh, of goods buying from sub-Saharan Africa. So they are our market. Um, we have the opportunity. Um, uh, yes, China might not be doing every, everything right, but um, when I taught English in China, people, um, uh, parents were, would, would walk uh, miles and miles, work double shifts to get their children to be able to learn English. We have this opportunity. Uh, if someone wants to grab it, I say go for it, but mm. not at the cost of mother language. Dr. Motignane, your final response, uh, Andres, the arguing uh, uh, the reason of commerce around why Mandarin is becoming central to uh, uh, the uh, business of the African continent. Uh, what's your final sentiment responding to what Andres was highlighting there? Um, first, with the Royal Bafuking, how many, what percentage of the South African uh, population has the same kind of riches, riches that they have. Mm. So we cannot, we cannot use them as, as, an, as a benchmark or a, an example. At the same time, um, we keep English. This is not about English. This, this is about Africa. This is about culture. I understand the, 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 the economic uh, benefits that come with um, the investment that China is, is, is making in Africa. But it has to be, unfortunately, it has to be on the terms of the local um, people, the local languages, if they are to benefit from, from any of that. Chinese must learn at least one of the South African indigenous languages to be able to trade with South Africans. Or then they can continue with English. Why impose another colonial language? That's my uh, well, thank, thank you so much for joining us on the show, Dr. Mutinyane, and uh, thank you to Andres Operman as well for giving us their time. It has been a very interesting discussion with uh, a different uh, um, offshoots of views coming from both of you. So thank you for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you.